The Umbrella Academy Season 2 is the continuing adventures of the Hargreaves family, but is this series timelessly classic or apocalyptically bad? I'm Mike. And I'm Darren. And this is Popscorn. Popscorn, the Found Entertainment Movie Review and TV Review Podcast, and today we are talking about The Umbrella Academy Season 2, now streaming on Netflix, not sponsored, although if they wanted to, I would take the money and run. I'm still Mike. And I'm still waiting for those Netflix dollars, those would be real nice. They've got the, the money to spare. Of, the amount of Netflix series we've reviewed, you, you know, with the amount of, especially with the amount of podcasts being like a sponsor by Audible. I feel like Netflix could get in on the ground floor. You know, open off a Netflix. Do email I mean, us. That'd be great. We tend to give them favourable reviews as well. I don't think we've really badly reviewed one of their series. Not that I we? can think of. It's mainly just Stranger Things then going, it's Stranger Things the best. Um, That's but, oh, Iron Fist. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and the Defenders, actually. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. for the most part. In fact, Netflix shows <laughs> tend to win whatever year they're on. They tend to be the the number one Daredevil was every year it was out, Stranger Things was, and most importantly, so was the Bread Academy Season 1. It was. It was both mine and yours mm-hmm. top billing uh, for TV. Um, so the big question is, how does the second series stack up to it? Uh, well, first impressions. Um, again, as we always have to say with these things, I don't think it's quite as good as the first one, but nor is it a massive drop-off either. It's still very, very good. Um, I think like like the first one, like all these series, Strangest Things did this, everything else does this. It has such a pure vision for season one. And it's so tight-knit and all the gears work perfectly that season two, you have to try and expand that, but keep it familial. And I, I think it just isn't as tight and knit a perfect, you know, functioning engine as the first one was. Um, in a lot of ways, it's kind of... It, it strays a bit too close to the first season. It's it's largely the same thing of Five tells everyone an apocalypse is coming and how are we going to stop that? It's just we've moved locations and time periods. But within that, they find a lot of new interesting things. I think there's um, a lot of... Uh, visually, I think it's taken a nice step forward. Um, I think storytelling-wise, it's now a lot more... Although, like I said, there is one main plot putting everyone through. A lot, a lot of people get to explore different sides of their character, which is really nice um and yeah i think it still has a very satisfying conclusion so it's still a very big thumbs up it's just it's gonna like most things netflix does pale in comparison to the first one a little bit yeah it's very much that uh stranger things problem of the first series was so iconic and like you said so pure that the second one inevitably won't be able to live up to the same levels of mm-hmm. kind of the breakthrough like the initial wave and I actually think that this fares slightly better than the second series of Stranger Things, which I still love. Yeah. Um, but this this fares slightly better in the sense of everything works exactly the same as it did last time. And moreover, you actually hit the ground running with this one because the problem with the Stranger Things series two was you had to introduce the new, you know, weird, otherworldly bad guy alien thing. Yeah. You don't have that problem with this series. It's a direct continuation, as in it, the the 
first episode takes place seconds after the end of the previous series. So there's there's less of a pace drop, there's less of a slow start, uh, which I really appreciated. Um, although I do think that in terms of sort of the, the supplementary plots that come around it this time round, some of them weren't great. They weren't terrible. They just weren't great. But mm-hmm. on the whole, I'm not saying that line. I knew you were uh, going to say that. I'm not saying it. Um, it is still a very, very, very good series. Still excellently acted, still excellently directed and photographed. I think it's a beautiful looking series. But I exist to nitpick and nitpick I shall. Yeah, I think there's a there's few to go through that every storyline has ups and downs. There's no one particular character arc that I feel is like perfect and I liked everything about it. But it's about the ensemble and I think there's no epi- there's no bad episode, I don't think. There's no like, oh, this one's a bit of a slog. There's always something pulling you through because um well the basic plot is uh we'll have mild spoilers for season one, I guess, throughout, but at the end of that season, uh, after the apocalypse is about to happen, they were unable to stop it. Uh, Five pulls a Hail Mary out of his arse and says, right, we're just going to have to teleport back in time. Now, he's kind of screwed the pooch the first time he tried to do this in coming from 19, the 1960s to the present. He also screws it up again going backwards. Uh, so they jump back. Each member of the family lands in a different year, one year apart in the early 60s. Uh, culminating in 1960-whatever-the-year-JFK got shot. Three. There we go, 1963 uh, is when Five lands, and that's kind of your setup. Is They find out very quickly again the apocalypse has followed them back, and now they've got to try and find a way to stop it. Um, and So that is basically the plot of season one, but like I said, the difference to this now, they're living in a completely different time period, um, Five basically finds out they've all immediately, because all of his siblings preceded him, they've all lived in their very different and separate lives, and somehow have not bumped into each other in Dallas. I know Dallas is a pretty big city, but I, I feel they might have bumped into each other at some point. Yeah, that kind of seems slightly unbelievable in a show that is already quite unbelievable. Mm-hmm. There's, there's actually a lot of points in this series where it feels like inside the concept that, that the series introduced in the first season a lot of the stuff is kind of a little bit trite the kind mm-hmm. of been set up to fail if you know what i mean yeah just it, it doesn't work properly with the the logic of the series that this is be what it will be like mm-hmm. especially when like time hopping becomes a bigger thing as the episodes go on especially in this series um i do feel like a lot of it could have been wrapped up quicker but then we wouldn't have had as much time with the characters which would have been a detriment and oh it's a dangerous balancing act welcome to writing for screen yeah i agree it's but that's the thing i think even season one you're 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 in it for the plot obviously but it's more so the characters that you want to spend time with um because they got good actors to play good characters and I think that's still the strength here. None of that is sacrificed for, you know, an overly convoluted plot, which is always going to happen when you start introducing time travel into things because people just don't write time travel things. It never ends well. People like me and Mike will always end up picking it apart and saying, well, that doesn't make sense because of this. I oh, I envy anyone trying to write anything to do with time travel in a movie, in a TV show, because it always ends up with headaches. Thankfully, all the characters are back. And they've all been given slight new tweaks that kind of help them. Five is probably the one that's changed the least, just because he's, you know, he's been through this before. 
and he's kind mm. of the protagonist. Yeah, I, I guess the same could be said for the previous series as well, because you saw he was the one who saw the apocalypse first. He's the one who comes back to warn them. It happens exact, in exactly the same manner this time as well, in that he jumps. Well, no, he, he finishes his jump back and realizes that the apocalypse followed them. Uh, and now he's got to go and round up his brothers and sisters uh, to to stop once again stop this uh, from happening. So yeah, the, there is very much more of a uh, Aidan Gallagher who plays number five taking on a central role, as in a lot of the plot seems to revolve solely around him and how he's going to fix things, which I'm all for because Aidan Gallagher is still the best thing about this series. He's still hands down the best performance there not my favorite but the best yeah he's he's very good i mean it's it's a hard job that he has to portray basically a 60 or 70 year old but in the body of a 15 16 year old and he does a very good job he's a very confident actor i'll give him that he always he, he never seems lost he's not, he's just any boy like you know veteran actors here who've been in a lot more things than he has be it on stage be it on tv movies etc but yeah, he never gets lost in the shuffle, which I think is a really big plus point for him. And it's good because you are right, you spend the most amount of time with him. It's not to say that his character is now like all lovable. He's still pretty abrasive to to most people he meets. But he kind of drags you through because you feel like his intentions are in the right place. Yes, he's going to be a bit of an arsehole, but he's not ever thinking of anything other than saving his family. Which is also kind of, you know, a bit different from the first one. Where, you know, he was getting involved with the Time Commission. He was, you know, not doing everything altruistically. This one, everything he does is to try and get his family back to 2019. Yeah, it did seem like there was a little bit of a shift from kind of a... uh, More of a self-important view of the events and just stopping it. And now it is, I need to save my family. Which, it doesn't even feel that big of a shift in the show. But you, you look back at the episodes and you see that it's... It's kind of far more altruistic than we're used to seeing with Five, certainly from the first series. It's everybody else who kind of falls apart from that family unit. And certainly in the first half of the series, there's not that much of it going on. It takes a long time for any of those relationships to start healing. Um, the one that kind of surprised me is how how quickly um, Luther, played by Tom Hopper, um, was the one to kind of tear away from the unit when he was the one trying to rally everybody round in the first series yeah he's i think of all the characters i think i i i he was the least interest in this season just because you are right he kind of just gives up on everything he you know he's number one he's meant to be the leader and when we find him he's basically just doing fight club he's fighting underground he's working for a, a, a nightclub owner it's like the heavy um and he's very much over it, but he's also developed a new power of being a thundering dumbass. Like I, I kind of really enjoyed how they kind of like they they took Luther from being like the straight man, and and turned him into the lovable idiot, the depressed drunk, and a bunch of other things over the course of these ten episodes. To me, that makes Luther actually one of the more interesting characters in this series. To Ken's point, what you said, but. I can see I can see why you wouldn't find him as interesting because he's not as invested no. at least until he is reunited with Diego. Yeah. 
who who is also stupid. It turns out like the two of them are just like like the two <laughs> yeah, stooges thundering idiots. Yeah, like I don't remember either of them. Like Diego, I think they kind of said was a bit stupid in the first one, or at least hot headed. I didn't really get that from Luther, but in this one, no, they're they're both character point number one is they're both quite stupid. I think uh, which Luther, I just think like he had the least interesting developments. Like it, personally, that's what I think. I like so for Diego, for example, when we find him. He's in a mental institution, and and he's he's desperately trying to stop the assassination of JFK because he feels like that's the heroic thing to do. He doesn't really get any deeper than that, and he's quite like an on-the-surface type of guy. He just wants to be a hero, and why not stop one of the most infamous assassin, uh, assassination attempts, attempts, successful assassinations <laughs> of all time. So, and, and, and he's just... I found Diego really funny this season. Like, Luva was also kind of there for the comedy, but Diego's just really good this season. Yeah, it's interesting because David Castaneda, who plays Diego, had to do a much more physical role in the previous season. He was much more a Batman-style character. Um, and that kind of meant that his his story arc with... Um, ah, what was the woman he was dating last season? Patch, I want to say. I think that's what it was. Yes. The one who dies in like episode two or three of the previous season. I'm looking. I'm looking. Let's you carry on. Look. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Have you got it? Let's go with Patch. And cool. Um. So the, his role felt limited last time. It was much more mournful and action based. It was always like his love, his lover had died, and then also his robot mom had died, and this kind of. It, it starts with this this obsession with saving JFK that seemingly has come from fucking nowhere um, and can only really be explained by he has to play the hero. He feels like he has to be this vigilante. And it's kind of a little bit weak, which is why I think making him an absolute klutz really works because it at least makes him his kind of really baseline we have to do this because plot storyline work mm -hmm. as more of a well he's just a bit thick let's just go with it because like, they put him in the mental institution because you know he's claiming to be from the future and he's claiming that jfk is going to get shot and all this stuff but like when they tell the rest of the of the umbrella academy that that's where diego is he's in a mental institution they just go yep that makes sense um so it's kind of like well yes he's he's telling the truth but he does actually seem a little bit unhinged especially when he sees well, the woman that presumably his robot mom was based on um, in the flesh for the first time. That kind of sends him a bit crazy as well. But, yeah, I, I think he has... Is he my favourite character from this season? He might be. Because, um, well, there's always Klaus to rely on. <laughs> Klaus is just the fucking best. He, he, he's, I, I know I said that uh, Aidan Gallagher was in the best performance, but Robert Sheehan is just effortlessly hysterical every fucking time he's so reliable whenever he's on screen you just want to pay attention to what's going on and his plot line is one of the better ones from this season even if it is a little bit straightforward a little bit no one's saying no nonsense predictable but, uh, exactly it's predictable yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, and it's fucking good. It's just so funny. Because why wouldn't he end up as the leader of a cult in the 60s? Like, that's just... It's ideal... <laughs> yeah. It's fertile territory for a man like him. The um, the montage they do of, like, how he became a cult leader 
is fantastic. Like from him being lifted up by uh, dead brother Ben, and it seems like he's floating around the room, and Ben's oh, just having God, to like yeah. lift his ass above his head and just walk around with him. <laughs> to like all the decadence and him in the Ganges in India with thousands of people, and then him just running away from it all because he can't be bothered anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the quoting of like seventies disco songs yeah. as mantras that is just so good. Perfect, perfect, perfect. And yeah, he 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 and Ben the double act still works um, for the most of this season. They're still it, it's him dragging his reluctant dead brother around for all these madcap adventures. It's just, but that's not to say there's not heart there because you also they revisit a plotline from the first one of he he fell in love with a. Um, the soldier when he was like accidentally teleported back to the Vietnam War for a few weeks. He met someone, fell in love with that person, they got shot and then he got teleported back to the to the future. And that had a really big effect on him and, and now he has a chance to kind of save him. They don't really go much into the ramifications of messing with the timeline because at least they that's usually a tedious thing you have to deal with in any time travelling movie of like you know, oh, you can't change anything in the past because of the butterfly effect and all this stuff. They they don't really go for that. And that's good because it means you can have points of him kind of basically begging a stranger saying, I know this sounds crazy, but I know who you are. You're about to sign up for the war. Please don't do that. You will die. I would rather that not happen, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, that was the best um, subplot of the previous series as well. So being able to at least revisit that in some way was really good i think the first time he walks into the diner and you you realize he's going back to go and talk to dave um is it kind of brought back a, a kind of a miniature flood of emotions i was like i remember how good that storyline was and then i kind of i don't want to repeat it I, I don't want to revisit it for too long i want it to just be this fleeting thing that he's unable to do and thankfully that is the route they take they they kind of therefore devote more time to you know a, a subplot with him and ben trying to kind of undo what's about to happen and the cool stuff with the cult which is pretty fun um yeah but just effortlessly funny though robert sheehan is just so so good and for what it's worth they give uh justin h min who plays ben a much bigger part this season he's less the butt of the joke more of an actual not a foil but at least somebody that that klaus is on the same page as even though klaus continuously is a dick to him which i really enjoy he may have the best like individual moments of the series um which we'll have to talk about in spoilers before we get to yeah. them but they give him some really really nice emotional beats considering he has to he has to play second fiddle to everybody else in the family at least in season one that was the case you're right they they give him they give him opportunities to do to be more than that, more than just like you know, closest caddy for want of a better word. They they give him something to do, and it's it only happens a few times, but it's really effective whenever it does happen. It really does you know hit on the emotion of like, well, yeah, he's having these madcap adventures with Klaus, but he is dead, and he only has this madman to talk to. He's probably very lonely, and they find a good way of milking that for some emotional weight. Um, so who's left to talk about? Oh, we have uh, what Allison's up to. Um, oh yeah because i mean it sets the stall out very early so this is um emmy raver lampman who was in hamilton it turns out yeah as like a, a not an extra but like part person. of the ensemble yeah. yeah um so she lands she still can't speak because she's only just recovering from vanya's slice in her throat 
Uh, she walks into a bar and they immediately start tapping the whites only sign. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I know where she's going. Um, <laughs> yeah, we know we know what this plot's going to be. And yeah, so she's she's in the movement. Um, she gets married to a geezer called Chestnut. Um, that's not his full name. I wish he no. was. Like Cher. Uh, Raymond Chestnut. There we go. Um, and yeah, she's basically like, she's in the movement. She's trying to, you know, help the... the um, What's the word for it? The civil rights movement. She's trying to help with the peaceful protests that her husband is like a big key component of. Um, and it's, she's kind of conflicted because uh, they, they don't touch on this as much as I would like to. And I thought it was going to be the big kind of second part of her character. She's like, she has the power to actually do a lot of change for her and her race, to really set this emotion at a lot faster pace than what actually happened in the 60s, because she can use her rumour powers to basically, you know, get the white people to do whatever she wants them to do. And I I thought that was going to play a bigger role. She kind of mentioned it a few times, but it's not really pushed to the extent I thought it was going to be, especially once um, her husband finds out about the powers. I thought for certain it was going to be him pressuring her to use her powers to kind of advance the cause. They never really go down that route. And as much as I was like, I felt it was a little bit predictable and then it didn't happen, that might have been something a bit more interesting for her to do. I I guess so. On the other hand, I appreciate that that allowed Alison to be kind of like the the opposite, her side of the coin to Diego, who Alison decided not to intervene in the natural cause of things and actually just help where possible whereas diego is like i am going to alter the timeline i'm going to change history and there's kind of those two different ways of actually being a force for good allison's story though of kind of hiding this entire secondary well it's not secondary it's her main life who she is you know being allison hargreaves from 2019 is her actual life what this is now living in the 60s with ray is is kind of just it's kind of like she adapted mm-hmm. but oh i'm here i guess this is what i've got to be doing whilst i'm here although realistically speaking we know it's gonna be fine there's yeah. there's kind of a weird scene much later on in the series where you know i hope this isn't spoiling too much but she does come clean about her powers in the very least um to her husband and she starts telling him about the future and like the scene begins with the line no no an actual black president wow that's amazing so it kind of feels like that they they kind of dampened that so they didn't have to get too radical i guess yeah not that you know the civil rights movement was it's a radical thought but it's more the idea that we we get to just touch on the issues what without, without having to have a deep dive in it because we've also got to tell a time travel story yeah but they I would have, have liked more of it, but... Yeah. Eh, I whatever. think they use it as a good template to say, like, look, she's by far and away the best adjusted of all of them. She's pretty happy in the 60s. Um, whereas you've got Diego trying to change things forcibly from what happened in the past. You've got Klaus trying to escape a cult that he accidentally created. Um, you've got uh, Luther just being resigned to fate. He's not happy about it, but he's just having to trudge on with things. So she's by far and away the happiest. And I, I think there was a bit more room for Nuva. I'm not saying she they made bad decisions. I still think she had a good season. I just think there was a bit more there. It feels like we've ended the season. And I don't really know. We'll have to see how season three plays out. I don't feel how she's changed um, over the course of this kind of 
um, over the course of this season, I don't really feel how she has changed, really, other than uh, maybe not relying on her powers, but she was already kind of there in 2019. She had stopped using her powers for that type of thing because she realised after she used it on her kid that, you know, this is a very dangerous talent she has. Um, right, now we have to talk about Vanya. <sighs> okay, let's mm-hmm. do this. <laughs> As Rachel leaned over to me at one point when she'd been in three scenes and it had only been 20 minutes, she leaned over and said, that's right, everybody, it's going to be a Vanya episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Fucking hell. I... Uh... This is the point in my life that I realised I was, I was 28 years old. I was sitting on the sofa with my wife, and I realised that Vanya, no, not Ellen Page, is actually a terrible actress. Like I just thought she was so fucking wooden this season. Real at all? Just, just the worst possible choice in every regard regarding this subplot for starters they obviously they were going to have to nerf vanya after she nearly caused the world to end last season Mm -hmm. so so obviously they were going to have to kind of dumb down that and they go with the fucking tired old insomniac story that that looks for for a minute in like way 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 at the end of the series looks like it's actually going to be an interesting take on an inso- uh, amnesiac story, not an insomniac story. That would be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't. It just does not commit to doing any of it. It's just, and she suddenly remembers, oh, oh, fuck off. So there's that. And then there is the single worst um, relationship I've seen on TV this year, which is her relationship with Sissy, who's played by Marin Ireland, mm-hmm. um, which is somehow, I want to say, the most meek relationship I've ever seen, as well as the most volatile and unneedingly complex. Yeah. It's a weird weird concoction, and there is not a single moment of it that feels believable. There is not a single moment of it that works. There is not even really a moment of it in which I feel any emotion towards it. I don't feel empathetic. I don't feel like this is a revelation. I don't feel like this is really the kind of representation that we especially you compare this relationship to klaus and dave in season one yeah and this does not hold a fucking candle it is nowhere near close sorry i'm gonna stop ranting i'll let you talk about vanya well i agree for the most part i think whenever she's away from that plot it's fine she's doing okay um, so whenever she's interacting with uh back with her family i think again it's it's fine but yeah it's Whenever you see that she's back at the farm with Sissy and the, and the husband and the kid, it's just, it's hard not to look at your phone. Um, it really is. Because it's just not, because yeah, they basically, as again, Rachel pointed out, as I pointed out with the X-Men films, they've got a Professor X problem of like, you have to take her out of commission for the plot to be interesting because otherwise Vanya can solve basically everything. Yeah. There's not a problem other than like time travelly stuff that she cannot solve. And you know, that that's very true here is they have to make her forget about the powers and relearn the powers, basically to retread season one, but with amnesia thrown in. So she doesn't even understand why the hell she's got these powers. They have to retread that in order to make her, you know, not able to solve all the problems and then kind of have that all dovetail at the end when she gets her memories back and full control of the powers again, and then we get to see her unleashed for, like, half an episode. It's 
it's annoying that her powers change and apparently she has full understanding of what these are when she gets her memories back even though they're completely new powers uh yeah she it's not strong for for vanya in this season and i think because she was the main character of season one basically I, yeah. I, they retread that a little bit here. It's a bit more of an even playing field. And like I said, Five is probably ultimately the protagonist. She was... The mystery about Vanya was the main plot of... Other than the apocalypse thing of season one. And because that's now all out of the bag, they've got to find new things to do with her. Which involve one, running her over with a car, and then getting her into a, a needlessly complicated relationship with Sissy. It's, it's not ideal. And yeah, it it just feels like it could have been handled better with maybe better writing, better casting. This might have been more bearable, but it, it's definitely the weakest part of the series, I think. Easily. And I think there's so many things that could have been done to make it interesting. You've just, especially with Vani, you've just come off the back of quite a lot of trauma. You found out that you've been allied to and drugged up by your father for your entire life. The first person who's shown you any romantic interest turned out to be a crazy stalker trying to use you to end the world. You almost ended the world. You nearly killed your family in the meantime. You slashed your sister's throat, your only sister, the only other female influence you have in your life. And all of that is forgotten. And that feels like we are robbed of any forward momentum for this character when we just replace it with the tokenistic LGBT story for this season, which sucks because the one we had in the last season was note for note perfect. And even when we revisit it, it, it continuously makes this plotline look worse in comparison. It just riled me, riled me up so much that this was this was the romantic thread that we had. For, for this series because last season it was it was dave and um oh my god I've got klaus and also alongside that you've got the long-standing relationship between allison and luther which i was a little bit weirded out admittedly by but i did think was very sweet and very earnest and you get none of that here there is no sweet and earnest relationship between vanya and sissy and in and in the kind of the narrative of the show this happens inside a month for them everything yeah. that happens in that relationship happens within 30 days that feels so unrealistic and so insulting to the close storyline from last season i i've re i've really hated it i just i can't get over how much like you said every time ellen page walks on screen and she's on the farm i wanted to be doing anything but watch this show i I'm like I might go and do the washing up during this scene, Bab. I'll be, be uh, I'll be back in ten when uh, when the sadness ends and I can start enjoying my cool Netflix show again. Yeah, it's not it's not great. She does not go up as a character very much down from season one. But on the flip side of that, Reginald Hargreaves, I think, has a better showing this season, Rain, because they give him a bit more depth. Because they do in the first season, he's just evil Victorian dad. Um, he might as well have a, a like a top hat and a factory because he's just, you know, he, <laughs> which he does, <laughs> he, which he does, admittedly. So uh, they they give him a bit more a bit more depth. He's still quite a mysterious character, but there's a bit more of a humanistic side to him in this season mm. um, of him. You know, it's still like a bit trailing mystery exactly what he does and who this shadowy Illuminati type group that he works for do but it's at least clear that he's a bit reluctant about all the shady stuff he does 
um, which was really nice. I won't give anything away here because you know it, it's quite a lot of information to unpack. But I, I think yeah, Calm Fear, Calm Feel Fear. Uh, has a really good turn in this season. I, I think I, you now come out of it with maybe not enough sympathy to kind of retract all the bad things he did, you know, in the lead up to season one of just how not a great father he was. I, I think this does kind of help make him a bit more human and, and maybe a tad more likable and relatable. Yeah, there's there's a lot more going on, and there's actually kind of the crux for about three or four episodes is what is. Um, their father's hand in everything that happens during 1963. And I don't want to spoil too much, but the way in which they decide to wrap that story up is not very satisfying. However, it does give Colmfior a lot of chances to be in scenes with his children and it not just be an onslaught of abuse, it actually be a conversation, it actually be an exchange of ideas, especially there's a great scene uh, with him and number five, mm. which it, it, you actually kind of get to meet Reginald Hargreaves, the father. And it's so good. <laughs> I just wanted more of it. And it, it, I'm, I'm hoping that that season three is something in which that is further explored. But for what we get now, it is like you say, it's definitely on the up. It's definitely an improvement, but there is so much more to learn about this character. And now that we've kind of gone through season one for, for all seven of our main characters and we've had them dealing with the trauma of being his weapons, we, we can now maybe come to maybe a, a place of new understanding. Um, in whatever form that takes, I'm not entirely sure that is up to the writers next season, but I, I do want to see an evolution of that uh, relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, the only other real major characters we have this season, um, to tip them back, I, I think might be slightly spoilerish to it, because at least one of them. Um, we do meet, um, when we're in the Mentalist Island with Diego, we get to meet uh, Lila, uh, who's played yep. by Ritu Arya. I'll do. Um, who I saw in like a weird, quirky BBC Three comedy last time I saw her. And now she's in the Umbrella Academy. Um, so... Fairly certain she was in Doctors for ages as well. Ah. And her face looks familiar. Right. You watch Doctors? It's it's filmed in Birmingham, so it'd be it'd be just not it'd be wrong of me to uh, not check into it with time to time. Certainly with their cast, because they tend the people that are in Doctors tend to go on to be in much better things later on. Ah, but right, okay. It's the <laughs> can't believe I'm about to say this. It's the skins of our generation. Oh God, no skins. The... <laughs> skins is the skins of our generation. <laughs> Uh, I like to believe that another generation. I mean, I've I've never TikToked. There's a new generation now, Darren. Oh, good God! It's a it's quite clearly a Russian spy ring. But now let's just keep dancing in front of the cameras. There's a good idea. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, um, yeah. I, so we can't really discuss a lot about Lila because she's quite integral to quite a few plot lines. Um, mm. but I think she does good. It's like a new addition, as a nice new fresh face. I think she does fine. Um. It's nice to hear a British accent in the Umbrella Academy. That's nice. Um, but I don't think it ever stretches really above that. She can't... I, some scenes I'm a bit like, oh, okay, I'm, I've had my fill of Lila for this episode. Um, but then sometimes when she kind of makes... She, she kind of drops the crazy act occasionally, I think it works a bit better. Weirdly, I think I'm on the opposite side of the coin to you. I oh, think okay. I preferred... Her earlier episodes where she is straight out of the asylum with Diego, that at least added a different edge to that story. 
it then gets a bit more vanilla as we head in towards the second half but it does pick up at the end which we will have to discuss um after the spoilers but yeah on the whole quite good certainly nowhere near the depths of ellen page so that's always nice no uh right visually i think it's a really strong season there's a lot of fight scenes in this usually involving number five that are really good I mean, all credit to Aidan Gallagher that he's now gone from being like the the kind of the breakout child star to having to be the leading man and also the main action guy of this season, taking over duties from Diego from the previous. He, he's fucking good at them as well. He he gets some of the more interesting and complex sequences in the uh, in the series, more notably towards the middle. Mm-hmm. It, it does seem kind of like there is little action either side of that middle bubble. Which is a little bit of a shame because I do feel like that the first season had a better balance of, of kind of sprinkling the action se- sequences at least one an episode. There's less of that here. There's more of a things come to a head and you deal with the build up and the aftermath of, after either side of it. But photography wise, it's also a very distinctly different looking season to the first one as well. Mm. The first one felt more timber and it felt more gothic. This one's like. This one looks like Breaking Bad, and I kind yeah. of love that. Yeah, it's really well shot, I think. They they tap into all the stuff about the 60s that you want without going over top with the tropes. Um, they don't really go for, like, high 60s fashion for everybody. Everyone tends to be wearing slightly normalish clothes, really. But the biggest change is basically Alison's hair. That's as close as you get to, like, full 60s stuff going on um so they they and i think that's a nice balance i know it's a card it it is ultimately a comic book thing so they could have really leaned into the tropes i'm glad they didn't i think it makes for a better a better more believable universe as unbelievable as this universe is with you know time travel and talking fish and all this other business i think it's it, it does a nice balancing act between the two and yeah it's very nicely shot like i said action scenes whenever they do show up Oh, really, really good. They might have cut back on this, because I remember when season one came out, they said it takes about two years to do all the special effects. It's a bit less special effects heavy, or at least most of the special effect work revolves exclusively around five. We don't really get to see Luther flex all that often, or see Diego throw all that many knives. Um, Vanya only blows up a few times. Um, so, but when and, they, and, and more importantly, there's hardly any pogo. So. Yeah, exactly. So they haven't got to animate the monkey, which the monkey was ridiculously good in season one. Having to scale yeah. back, and that's probably saved them a fair amount of time. But when the special effects are called upon, they are still stellar, especially when you have to consider this is for Netflix. I know Netflix is not like, you know, barren or anything. They're not peasants, but it still should be acknowledged that this is very good work for TV. Yeah, there's a particular fight scene that comes into my mind that is shot and edited so goddamn well. Um and I won't I won't spoil who's fighting, but there is it's kind of like a round shot circling Luther, and then there are people fighting around him. Mm-hmm. And, and I was kind of like, oh, that's that's the that's the the Umbrella Academy I know and love. That that's it looking really good. Also, kind of like the vision of the apocalypse at the start of the series is really good as well. Like that looks amazing. Yeah. You basically, I, I hopefully isn't too much of a spoiler, but you basically get to see what if the Umbrella Academy got their shit together and became the Justice League. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful shot, and I really wish that that would have lasted longer. Uh, yeah, but no, it, it is all it is all very congruent in terms of its uh, its visual style. There's very little variance outside of the 
the kind of sun-baked vision of the South. And, and, and I really appreciate that. I at least like that he has a separate visual identity of the first season, which works so well that Five doesn't change costumes at all. He's still in the school uniform. And it, there's just that little kind of, he's stuck out in the first season. He stuck, sticks out here as well. I just think it's such a good costume choice as well. Like you said, everyone else is a little bit kind of just in, without wanting to be rude, in, in kind of 60s peasantry clothes. Yeah. It's just all very basic outside of uh, Klaus doesn't put a shirt on for the entire season, which is great. Um, yeah, but apart from that, everyone's costumed really well. Right, I think that's everything we can kind of touch on before we start spoiling things. So, uh, anything else you want to mention before we spoil? Not that... Oh, the soundtrack. It's still great. Still great. Still no I Chemical Romance on it, but they did get the Backstreet Boys in there. <laughs> they did squeeze the Backstreet Boys in a really weird action scene. I liked it, though. Oh, it was great. It was just... It was a very weird choice. Because there was a lot of, like... Weirdly, a lot of 70s music in this season. Mm. Um but it all worked. It it, it 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 did start to tip into um, Guardians of the Galaxy territory a little bit. But that might just have been because a couple of the songs I picked for my Guardians pitch ended up in this season, and I wasn't mad about it. Fair enough. Oh, there is there is three characters we haven't mentioned because basically, whenever an episode needs an action scene, three Swedish dudes turn up to to mess them up. <laughs> I forgot about the Swedes. Yeah, there's just three mute Swedish dudes who. Uh, Basically, time like they're like Hazel and Charcha from the first season, but they don't have anywhere near enough character. Their character is they're Swedish and they don't say anything. Um, but yeah, basically they're just there to inject action scenes whenever they feel one hasn't happened for a long enough time. Mm. It's uh, it's, a, it's a bit strange. Uh, they really make it look like that that plot's going somewhere as well, mm-hmm. and it kind of really peters out. But we have to talk about that in spoilers as to why that is not made the biggest deal it could have been we do so ultimately it's another great season um it doesn't have the same dip that i think stranger seeds and strange things season two did and the good news is strange things season three really helped you know climb back up the mountain so there's every chance that as good as this one was season three can kick it up an even higher notch uh whenever that arrives we then have to start getting worried because netflix tends to cancel all like basically everything only gets about three or four seasons before it's cancelled unceremoniously so we have to hope it goes past that. Plus, I think once they do season three, they will have caught up with the comic books. And uh, it took a Gerard Way and his writing partner ten years to write part three, um, which is, you know, even George R. R. Martin is like, lads, you might want to pull your finger out a little bit. Um, it, even then, it looks like, I don't want to spoil too much for the end, but it looks like they're just completely skipping part three of the books, which is mental. Have you read the books? I haven't, no. Ah, right, okay. So, but yeah, they've still got to... They, they, they will be sooner rather than later catching up with the comic books. And My Chemical Romance are back as a band now, so I don't know if Gerard Way has the time. Um, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it still leaves you in a very interesting place for season three. It's kind of like the same... Not the same setup as the end of season one, but it it's like the same thing season two problem. It won't have a few episodes to kind of meander around to kind of find a plot... The plot's already there and ready to go, so you can hit minute one of episode one, you're off and running with that season. So, already looking forward to that, which I think is probably the biggest compliment I can pay the series, that it's only just ended and I'm already ready for more. Yep, I'm definitely ready for more. It's another recommendation. Even though this is a lesser season, it's not by much, because the good things 
are still really fucking good. Uh, yeah, I want more of this, and it sucks that we are now at the point that we have to wait the longest amount of time for it. I just, I just kind of hope they get season three done in a timely fashion, so that the kid who plays five doesn't age up that much. Yeah, that is a good point because they kind of point out of like he's basically frozen, but I was like, that doesn't need to be a plot point. You can just say he just reverted back to being fifteen, and he's now aging as if he was fifteen. I don't think there's anything wrong with that and therefore we don't have to you know rush these things because that's what i wouldn't want to happen is that they, you know they they because they they've got this problem with stranger things of like well the appeal is that they're kids and very soon they're all going to be 16 year olds and it's kind of loose a bit of its charm it stops being the goonies versus predator at that point so they, they need to get on the gas with that a little bit but i think that's that's easily explainable they just say well no one's really done what i've ever done before we weren't sure of the science it turns out i can age yeah, I suppose that is a way out of it, isn't it? Yeah, maybe they should do that. There we go. Spoiler alert! Right, where would you like to start? Let's kick off with um, the fact that the handler's back. Yes, she survives getting shot in the head. Somehow. Um, so, there. I mean, they, they kind of... They plan it a little bit of, like, it keeps weeping, but that's really as deep as it goes. They just what Maybe the actress just impressed them so much in the first season. Again, I don't know if she comes back in the comic books, but they were probably like... The actress did a really good job. That actress, of course, being Kate Walsh, that they just said, eh, screw it, she can survive getting shot in the head. People people teleport in this series. It's not too, it's not the most outlandish thing on the show, put it that way. It really isn't. And she's so good in this as well. Like, I'm, I'm glad she's back because she is just the caricature we need. Mm-hmm. She's just absolutely embodies the fact that this is a comic book role and really runs with it. And in this season, that that is more... Okay, so the reason we have to, to not talk about the handler is because, yes, it's a spoiler, she's back. It's also a spoiler that halfway through, we find out that Lila is her adoptive daughter in much the same way that the Hargreaves are all adoptive children of uh, of Reginald, that she's mm-hmm. being kind of used for her, for her abilities. Yeah, which are... Basically, she's like Rogue, kind of. Um, she's more akin to in Heroes. Um, what I can't never remember his name, but he's played the one that Milo Ventimiglia played in Heroes. Of like, whenever he's close to somebody, he can take on their powers temporarily. It seems she can only do one at a time. She can't have multiple powers going on at any one time. But that's why she was beaten to the punch by uh, sorry, the handler beat Reginald Hargreaves to the punch because this girl was deemed too powerful to be joining the umbrella academy and the handler wanted her for herself and that's kind of another subplot of like who really because we find out early on that lila's parents were basically murdered in front of her and she ended up being adopted by the handler and it becomes a bit a bit of a subplot of like well who ordered the killing who took out the killing etc 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 yeah uh, the character you were thinking of was peter petrelli by the way there we go of course it is God, Heroes was... Did you know that they're planning on, like, rebooting Heroes? I thought they already did. Uh, I mean, like, a proper reboot. Ah, right, Not like a kind of, like, a whatever season four was. It's like a proper... This didn't do as well... Bear in mind, it was, like, one of the biggest shows on TV at the time, right? I remember it being a huge fucking deal. Season one was, like, one of the best seasons of TV ever, and everyone was mad into it. Then that writer's strike happened... And season two shit the bed. Season three continued the shitting of the bed, and then everyone gave up. 
so they so apparently even after the four series and Heroes Reborn, they want to do it again. I'm like, oh. lads, we we don't we kind of don't need it anymore. <laughs> we, we don't, don't need, need any more superhero shows. We good. We got forty of them. You're not unique enough to <laughs> you're unique because you were doing it at the time when no one else was. You know, you're a very small fish in a very big pond. It's probably not the best idea. Yeah, no. Anyway, um, so the yes, yeah, so she's back and she's basically your antagonist. Um, I don't know again if there's one from the comic books they decide to skip over or if you know the plot's so different from the comic books they just need an antagonist. I thought she'll do. She does Weirdly. a good enough job. Weirdly, this is one of the few things I do know about the comic books. Um, Hazel and Chacha are from part two in the comic books. During ah. the Dallas storyline, it's Hazel and Chacha are the villains, less right. so the the commission. So that's interesting, the fact that there's none of that uh, presence in the first part of the comic books. It's more it's more an exploration of the Hargreaves than it is the Hargreaves having to band up against something. So we're already in a much different place than the comic books would have left us in. Uh, that we are now dealing with an entirely different subplot here. I'm not sure if or Handler and Lila what is in part three or if it's in the part four that may or may not be happening. We don't know. Um, what we do know um, is that Lila is one of the 43, 48. I don't know how many children that were born mm-hmm. um, out of uh, the Immaculate Conception at the same time as all of the Hargreaves. So that makes her very uh, valuable and it kind of gives a little bit more of a perspective both for the handler and for um, Reginald Hargreaves in, in terms of their stake in that event. But we don't get any exploration of that event and the the powers just kind of come out of nowhere. We, we spend a lot of time, we spend a couple of episodes with Lila just being someone that breaks out with Diego. Cool. Then we get a couple of episodes of, oh, she's the handler's daughter. Fine. And then we get the last two episodes where it's, and now you have powers. And it just really does come out of nowhere. And kind of very unceremoniously, they just kind of chuck her there as another reason to nerf Vanya, which was not great. We literally needed someone super to smack around in the final fight. Although she's the one mainly doing the smacking. So she chucks Luther through a wall. She tells Alison, she rumours Alison to stop breathing. She can, yeah, basically do to Vanya what Vanya does to everybody else. Uh, I, I will admit, the final fight is pretty good. I did enjoy it when all the agents teleport in from the Time Commission to... to uh, but basically, like, the, the one of many subplots, but one of the more uninteresting ones, because it happens on Vanya's watch, is she saves the life of the mute boy, uh, Harm, Harmon Harrison? Harlan, I believe. Harlan, that's the one. Uh, through an unex- previously unexplained part of her powers where she can super resuscitate people and kind of, it's like the Phoenix Force, she can give a bit of her powers to someone else. Oh my um, god, can we, can we talk about that episode real quick? Because that episode had the the best unintentional laughing fit of the year for me. Go on. It was, so, the bit in which she saves um, the, the kid from, from drowning is... Mm-hmm. It's preceded by, it's a moment where both her sissy and the dad are kind of having an argument or something like that. Yeah. And it's like a light goes off in the kid's head and he just decides to speed run his own life. He he manages to outrun, <laughs> outrun Vanya in a fucking car yeah. and just pegs it into a 
fucking lake and drowns himself. I don't know why I find this so funny. It was just... It's like the six million dollar man with suicidal tendencies. It was so strange. Like, did he just run into the lake and not stop? Like, he literally ran to the bottom of the, like, lake bed. And was like, oh, I can't breathe, I'm dead. Uh. <laughs> like, like, um... Like Skinner when he crosses the river, he just didn't like swim. He just continued to run along the floor. <laughs> oh, it's not. Yeah, again, it's the the Vanya subplot is not helped by this. But yeah, she she basically gives him superpowers, and he because he, he it's implied that something's up with him. He's got special needs of some description, but they don't tell you what it is. But basically, he can't control the power that's going on, and. He looks like he has, like, storm powers from the X-Men that he can, like, make it wind. He can make it snow in Texas. Um, and the, the the handler has basically come for him. She wants to add to her own, like, super team. And she wants him to join. Um, and the big final fight is basically the pass the Harmon game of, like, they're both trying to... Both the handler and all of her cronies from the Time Commission are there to get him and the Umbrella Academy are trying to protect him. So that Vanya can take the power back off him. I don't know how she figures out she can do this, but she just can. And it leads to a very, very fun final fight where uh, we had to see everyone, basically everyone gets to use their powers at least a little bit, which is nice. Um, <laughs> including <laughs> Klaus getting caught by two Confederate soldiers. <laughs> yeah. He's plummeting in the oven, they just catch him. That was very nice. Um, and yeah, so. What, 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 there was something before we should probably not speak about the final fight first um, other standout moments yeah, the fight you were talking about where Luffy gets kicked in the balls repeatedly by the two fives yeah that's the, the whole thing we actually go and meet five pre I guess pre-apocalypse jump yeah mm-hmm. which is weird because I distinctly remember the the apocalypse jump in um no, it would be pre-jump home, wouldn't it? Be pre-jump yes. back to 2019, because yes. the apocalypse—the first time he goes to the apocalypse and gets stuck there for 40 years—he's still five. He's still a kid. Um, but when we meet him in Dallas, as he's about to, ta- you know, carry out the assassination of JFK, he's like a 50-year-old man, which is mm-hmm. very different. Um, and I actually kind of had trouble believing it was the same character. It, mm. Weirdly enough, Aidan Gallagher plays a better embittened old man than the guy they played to play an actual yeah. embittened old man. That was really weird to me. It was. I I do like like I they didn't touch on the you know ramifications of time travel in terms of changing things in the timeline. They left that trope alone, but they did have a nice bit of uh, paradox uh, stuff in there where you're not meant to meet your own self. And it led to, like, the seven stages of, um, it's like, proximity madness or whatever it's called. And Oh, they had a term for it, didn't they? Was it, yeah. like, like paradox paranoia or something? I don't know. That's it, right. But I like that it started with denial. That was nice. Um, and then it kind of, like, you know, includes itching, fatulence, uh, and then ends up with homicidal rage. And you just see Five <laughs> yeah. get more and more irritable as he spends more and more time with his future self. Well, past self, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, just him shouting at random people on a bridge was quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. And that fight scene is so good. Yeah, like, so they, they... they Go on, sorry. No, 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 you, you explain it. Well, they boot they boot Luther in the balls because he's trying to like be, you know, the simple-minded hero. And then they're just... It's a slow-motion panning shot around him 
where they circle Lufa and you just see the two teleporting dudes. Basically, what if Nightcrawler fought Nightcrawler? They're just <laughs> bamfing in between each other, trying to punch each other, but then obviously the other one teleports, and then swings another punch, and so on and so forth, and then we go. And then at the halfway point, when Luffy's about to recover, they boot him again and um, and carry on their fight. It's really good. Yeah, all of the good action scenes belong to Five when he goes and assassinates the, the Time Commission board. That's a really nice scene. Yeah. Um, kind of like the highlight of the gore that we that we kind of had a bit more of in Season 1 that doesn't really exist in Season 2 all that much, but... We get a little bit of it, so that's good. Um, I'm trying to think of oh, Diego's fight against his dad is pretty good as well. Yeah, that's pretty good. That is a pretty good fight. Yeah, so it's all it's all basically all Diego and Five get all the fun stuff. Luffy does not get to flex his muscles as much as you kind of hope he would. No, you get that vision of him during the apocalypse scene in episode one with him doing like the Hulk jump and just ripping yeah. dudes apart, and he never gets to do it. Like the, the closest he gets is a couple of bare knuckle boxing matches, and even then, the best one of those is him getting fucking marmaladed and left to to bleed out. So yeah, yeah. Again, I don't know if it was like again special effects were like well we can't get him in the full gorilla suit all the time. We've got to get this finished within like a year and a half. So. We're going to have to cut down on his special effects. I hope to God they didn't actually film in Dallas, because my God, he must have been warm. Good, Yeah, surely. Because the, the fucking pattern he's got to wear at all times. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh I, I hope not... they had aircon on that studio. Exactly. He does not get to take that off. Um, just before I forget to mention him, I want to talk about a few of the Ben Hargreaves scenes. Um, we get the one where basically all the family gets back together for the first time in like the TV repair shop owned by the paranoid man that's kind of spotted all of them teleporting into the alleyway behind his house as they kind of fell out of the jump from the end of season one. Um, they all get together and they're all arguing, they all separate. And Ben just sat there in the chair really sad and just goes, I've really missed all you guys. And, you know, that's when you start to feel like, well, he really is alone. Like, Klaus is of no help to him, really. Um, but he finds out that he can possess people, particularly Klaus, who he can then, like, kind of drive um, yeah, and he gets just like a really good scene of him just being happy to be alive and saying he loves dirt under his shoes and all this stuff. He meets Diego temporarily, and they have a really really nice scene where um, you know Klaus is like saying I'm Ben. Diego's having none of it because why would he? It's Klaus. And then they say you know say something only Ben would know. He does, and then like the the act the really good acting that um, uh, what's his name? His name is David Castaneda. Does is really good because you just get all the emotion on his face of like realizing that he's actually Ben and kind of hugging his brother for the first time in like 15 years. Yeah. It's really good. And then they managed to parlay all of that into there's another bit where basically they're trying to figure out what causes the apocalypse in 1963 um, because they've brought it with them. And they they think it must have something to do with Kennedy because, you know, when they're being nuked and being invaded in the apocalypse of five seats, it's by Russian people. So presumably something in the Cold War has kicked off that's probably related to JFK. Um, through plot convenience, Diego figures out that it's Vanya again um, because he will always be Vanya. Um, Vanya will always be the problem with this series. Uh, she will. In plot, in watching, in every circumstance <laughs> firm, Vanya is the problem. Um, uh, we won't give away everything here. We won't get into the minutia. But basically, she's been tortured by the FBI because she used her powers in front of police officers. And in doing so, that kind of sets off her powers, unleashes like a massive blast. JFK survives, but presumes it's the Russian declares war on them. And that's what escalates into the apocalypse. 
Um, Vanya is basically going Super Saiyan in this chair. She's already killed everyone around her. Uh, Alison, Klaus, and um, Diego all fail to get into the room with her. And then it's up to Ben, who obviously is not affected by any of her powers. And he kind of jumps into her mind palace where she's having these very vivid visions of her back at the Umbrella Academy and being, you know, shouted at by her dad and all this stuff. And he's the one that basically calms her down and saves the apocalypse. So, good job, Ben. It's a really nice scene of him, like, interacting with his sister and letting go, saying, I've served, I didn't know what my purpose was, you know, for staying around in soul form as long as I have. It was this. Peace out. Yeah, there's a really, really lovely moment just as that scene ends where um, he says, I really need one last thing as I go. And she's like, anything. And you think there's going to be like this whole like, oh, how strange. He's like, he doesn't even get to the end of the sentence. Can you hug me as I die? And she mm. starts hugging him like, oh, that's actually really beautifully done. Of course, this is two siblings. Of course, they would do this for one another. Perfect. Like, I really, he was... It's concentrated what you get with Ben, but it's everything he does is really good, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, thankfully, it looks like he is going to be back for season three. More on that in a moment. Yes. Um, very first, I do want to touch on that uh, episode once more. Mm-hmm. You spend the entirety of that episode going into Vanya's Mind Palace and having this uh, uh, this kind of like a reawakening of her powers, and it's done really well in this really kind of unsettling and trippy sort of uh, memory recall but they really miss a good opportunity to make that that plot line stand out there's a line from Reginald Hargreaves and he said you're you're choosing not to remember I really wish that was the case Mm. and it wasn't just to serve the fact that their dad's a dick I really wish it was a case of Vanya is actually holding back remembering it would make it would make the 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 tired old um in some i keep saying insomniac uh amnesiac story kind of had that weird reversal to it instead of it being somebody who wants to find out who they are it's someone holding back from finding out who they are that would have been fun but of course vanya is the problem she really is and i mean at this point i don't season one you're like oh Diego, stop being mean to Vanya. Now you're like, no, Diego, be more mean to Vanya. She's she's no one's favourite. Uh, no. <laughs> just get her gone. But uh, no, it, it's we end up with a situation where basically, yeah, they have the big final fight. They manage to save themselves um, twice actually. So it's it's it looks like it's going downhill because Lila is kicking the shit out of all of them, as she has all of their powers. Um, they're having like a standoff in the barn, basically, where she's she basically can't kill everybody because she finds out it was Five who murders her parents, uh, and she's out for revenge. Understandable. And Five doesn't even try and deny it. He's just like, "Yeah, sorry, I wasn't an assassin, so kind of was my job. Nothing personal." Um, she's having none of it. Diego has to try and convince her not to kill her brother, and then the handler just walks in with an Uzi and just kills everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I was like. Well, that's pretty succinct. All right. <laughs> she finally did what the villain never does. The handler gets a lot of moments like that in this season where she just completely undercuts everyone, and it's kind of glorious. Like, there's a, there's a moment at the start of that episode where it looks like she's finally figured out how to deal with them, 
and she she's talking to her own employee and said, "Does anybody else know about this?" Like, no. It's like good, and still kills him anyway. <laughs> yep, stabs him straight through the heart. Like, well, that's a loose end gone. Bang. Yep. She's she's a ride or die motherfucker. I, I appreciate her hustle, if nothing else. Um, this is when basically we get a five. Because he's only time jumped twice, both of which did not go particularly well. And basically, it's actually his dad who, in a previous episode, when they were talking at a bar, says, well, you tried to run before you could walk. Why did you try and jump years? Try seconds. And he basically does a Prince of Persia, rewinds time for about 30 seconds so he can cut off the handler before she bursts in with the Uzi. And that's how we get the finish. The handler's dead. Properly this time, at least, well, we thought that in the season one, so who knows. But she does appear to be legitimately dead. Lila leaves before anything can be resolved, because Diego basically lets her go. And then we find out that, yeah, you are good to go back to 2019. Here's a briefcase. The whole family's back on one page. They're all happy with each other. Um, And that's when we get the setup for season three, which I don't know about you, Michael, but I'm real excited for. I was so happy with that setup. First of all, before we get to that setup, one minor thing. Apparently, mm. their dad's an alien, so that's something. I completely forgot about the alien subplot. Yeah, there's so... so many things in this series. Like, I genuinely forgot in the last episode that the Swedes were even in it up until the last one of them that doesn't get killed turns up. Yeah, I was like, oh fuck, yeah, you guys were in it. And then the the episode before ends with fucking Reginald taking off his face and presumably killing the twelve most powerful people in the world. And because, he's an alien. And, well, like, and then this is not touched for the entirety of the last episode. No. Because in season one, it was, again, another subplot that when we find Luffy at the start of season one, he was on the moon. And we never really find out what he was doing up there. And it's kind of hinted that he's got hands in space travel because, you know, Pogo went to space, uh, came back, and it was the robot mom in the future who is, at the time, Reginald's girlfriend who basically saves Pogo's life uh, and gets it, well... Reginald injects him with something that makes him super intelligent, but there we go. So it's, and they mentioned that, you know, your dealings with the dark side of the moon and the kind of protection of the dark side of the moon is why Reginald's going through with the assassination of JFK and carrying it out, it seems. Like, it's not like you don't see him shoot JFK, but it's basically implied that it was him that did it. Um, and for that reason, because he wanted to protect his interests on the moon, because he's an alien. Uh, I mean, fine, chuck another fucking thing into the pile of mad subplots we have on this show to keep track of. <laughs> it's going to get to Game of Thrones level where before the, I start any new season, I have to watch the last episode with a notepad so I can write <laughs> everything down. And I'm like, right, this is so-and-so, his deal is this, he's doing this and he's here. And so on and so forth because he's and just getting mad. And you'd still miss things. You'd still miss things. Exactly, that exactly. much weird shit going on. Like the, the whole thing of there is a, a fish who runs the board is dealt with in about 20 minutes. They never explain where he came from, how he gained a human body, any of this stuff. And then he's just eaten by the handler. She just swallows him. <laughs> yeah. Mad. It, it kind of felt like a little bit of a waste. Anyway, let's get to the end, because the end's exciting. So they teleport back, they're back in the mansion, everything seems fine, but then they're like, why is there a picture of Ben above the mantelpiece? Uh... Uh, Reginald Hargreaves stands up he's alive and they're like what are we doing we're in the Umbrella Academy he's like no you're not you're in the Sparrow Academy this is when emo haircut Ben walks in looking like Peter Parker in Spider-Man 3 <laughs> and he's like who the hell are these guys and we see silhouettes of people stood above him who apparently are the Sparrow Academy so 
neat. They've got yeah. a, there's a there's a new team and these people are meaningless and apparently never existed. I'm down. That's the confusing thing about the comic books is that part four, which is yet to be released, is called the Sparrow Academy. Ah. So it really does look like they're skipping. And to be fair, I was reading the cliff notes of the the comic book uh, earlier so last night and earlier on today. Yeah. And it's it's just it seems like a worse version of the series. There's a lot of like. Ah. Things are in the wrong order. Things appear to be a bit more emo for their own good. Uh, I'll get round to reading them at some point and I'll feed back on that. But it does seem like the t- like a lot of things, the adaptation is always the best. I mean, look at Scott Pilgrim. Pretty decent yeah. comic book. Fucking amazing movie. Yeah. So it, it's one of those situations. But we're going to be might get some fucking doubles shit going on next season. Might actually get some team on team fights. We might actually be a bit more X-Men like. I'm totally down. <laughs> new powers new possibilities getting ben back on side i like i i really do like i was like there's no way he's done such a good job of acting this season they're not actually gonna kill him they'll find a way of getting him back somehow and that's what happens so all good and of course the series ends on everyone just going ah shit yes it's just nice <laughs> not that's as action-packed as the uh the end of season one but as poignant no it, it doesn't finish with as good a shot as the first season as well the ending circle shot was so fucking well done mm-hmm. at the end of season one this one's a little bit more reserved because you are the, the the kind of the show-off is the the reveal of the silhouettes of their alternate timeline selves which i'm, I'm very excited to meet that, that's going to be such a fun season next season great i think that covers everything now on to the actual main event the secret main event the secret tell main us, event. Tell us, Michael, about yeah. your wedding. You might have heard me say, wife, earlier in the episode, that was not an accident. Uh, yeah, I, uh, me and my partner, uh, Caroline, um, after having our wedding cancelled and a bunch of other bullshit happened, we just decided to do the thing that cool hip people do and we ran off to Gibraltar and still had our wedding. And that was is, fun. Is that what the kids are doing these days, running to it, Gibraltar? Certainly, was what they were doing in like the fifties. So I guess it's kind yeah, of like, true. Yeah, true. it's kind of apt considering that uh, the, the the season we just reviewed. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it wasn't as cool as you'd expect because our parents did go as well. Um, yeah. It's kind of it, it has to be done. It really does. I wouldn't. If anyone plans to elope out there, don't do it the way we did it. Go go to Gibraltar. It's fucking great. Don't take your parents. It's just it's just a week of running after people <laughs> who don't really need running after and are just they get to have a holiday out of it and you've got to do all the fucking legwork. Um, <laughs> but the day the day itself was fucking great. Uh, you can't get a little little thing for everybody who's not uh, from the UK. You can't get married outdoors in the UK. You have to be married in a permanent structure that is licensed to hold weddings. Uh, Not the case in Gibraltar. Incredibly lax marriage laws. Uh, You can get married outside, which we did. We got married in the Botanical Gardens, which was beautiful. Such a lovely place. The photos are going to be so good from there. Um, And moreover, it's so lax. You only have to be in the country either 24 hours before or after your ceremony for it to count, which is great. Lovely. we still went for a week because fuck it. It, it was one of the few places you could go on holiday. So we we're going to take that for all it was worth. Um, it's like, you know, when you go to like a really touristy part of Spain. Yeah. It was like that, but also far better in every regard. There's a Tesco. There's red phone boxes. 
only feels nice is still playing on every TV, but it's kind of more expected. <laughs> yeah, there's like it, it was really surreal to see like these like family run tapas places across the way from a Morrison's. Mm. It was really odd. And of course, we did the thing of you have to go and try a foreign Mackey's like that's a oh, right. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, their thing was this. Uh, oh, God, what was it called? I think it was called like the barbecue double extreme, which Ooh. is a great name. Um, it was basically like, um, you know, the double quarter pounder. Yes. It was like that with um, with like a fried onions and barbecue and lots of other different sauces. Very good. Very meaty. They also offer um, wedges instead of chips as a choice over there. Freaks. And for some reason, oh. their their share box is not 20 nuggets, it's 25. So bonus. Oh, nice. Now, key question. Did you go to the rock? Yes, we went up the rock. Aren't the monkeys arseholes? They are. Well, there's like four or five of them that are arseholes, and they all hang around. The second you get off the cable car, which is oddly beautiful and terrifying at the same time, just mm-hmm. because of the fucking elevation of that thing. It's almost vertical at one point. Yeah. Um, you get off, and there are like these five or six monkeys who are like the tried and tested hard asses, mm-hmm. um, and they will fucking mug you the second you walk off. <laughs> One of the monkeys jumped on my father-in-law's back. Oh, oh man, it was it was really funny. Um, so we saw that's their tactic. They jump on people's back so that you'll take your backpack off, and then as you're kind of swinging your backpack off, they grab the handle and run off with it. Um, we were there, we would have been there about 20 minutes. And in that time, somebody got off and had their little toiletries bag opened and eaten. So that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another, like the monkeys tried the whole jumping on the back thing with somebody else. He stupidly took his backpack off. <laughs> and it turns out the way that the staff members deal with the monkeys is they just walk towards them and either clap at them or twat them with a broom. <laughs> They don't give a fuck. And they've got all these signs up saying, like, if the monkeys do that weird pouty shit, it means they're going to mm. attack you. They they were just dicks. They weren't aggressive. Yeah. They were just dicks. They're just assholes. But then you get into, like, the nature reserve part of the rock. Um, and it's like, the monkeys are incredibly lax that side. They don't give a fuck. Mm. They'll post photos. They eat fruit. They're awesome. It was baby season, so there were some babies as well. That was really cute. Mm-hmm. Um I've stood where Mark Hamill once stood. They 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 built like the world's smallest balcony halfway across the rock, which is made entirely out of glass. Yeah. So they called it the Skywalk. So obviously ah, they got Mark Hamill to open it. Very nice. So like one of the best photos I've got is just the plaque that says this was opened by Mark Hamill. I'm like, yes, in the footsteps of giants. Uh, I think that's about it. We had an incredibly sort of tiring walk down the rock as well like we, mm-hmm. we cable card up and we heard there was a halfway point station that you could get yeah. back on it took fucking forever to find <laughs> it oh my christ it just took so fucking long and it was just beaming down the sun it was oh, so no uh, it was, was not a good combination we did go in a cave as well that was pretty dope uh funnily enough there are only 18 places you can get married in gibraltar the cave was one of them you can get married in the fucking like and you get in and it's like it's not like a done up cave it is just like this entirely like porous limestone structure so it's damp as shit in there (laughs) apparently there there was a wedding a couple of days before we were there and and the bride came in and had like the traditional like 
train and all that and apparently the bottom of her dress got completely fucking soaked i'm like why would you do that why, why would you even bother like you know it's a cave what were you expecting <laughs> yeah go for the garden the worst thing that's going to happen there is bug bites and dear god my wife got bitten to shit oh no oh there was she got a real bad one we must have been off the plane about 10 minutes and she got bit and it fucking swelled it looked she uh... you don't i mean i don't think anybody's going to be really comfortable like <laughs> Marrying somebody hencher than them, but it looked like, like she was flexing at all times. <laughs> it was it was fucking massive and red. And then finally, by the time it came to the day of the wedding, it had gone down. Uh, and then her legs got bitten to shit during the um, <laughs> the ceremony. So after all the photos were taken, um, her legs started flaring up as well. So that was fun. Oh joy of joy! looked like she got the plague, uh, but she she's thankfully recovered now. So that's okay. Okay, now we have to touch on a very touchy subject. Yes. You achieved a dream of mine whilst you were over in Gibraltar that I have yet to do, and I started significantly before you. I did. You complete the goddamn Pokedex. Again. But you got all of them. You have a Zarude. I still don't know how, and I'm still pissed. Well, to be fair, I mean, you know, the thing is that Gibraltar is the land of monkeys, and... uh... <laughs> that's my excuse also i did get you a little present whilst i was over there darren um because gibraltar obviously is famous for the monkey mm-hmm. so i got i got you this kind of i will tell you now i got you this kind of weird looking black and green one Ooh. i hope that's okay wait hang on is it and have you got me as a rude yes oh, oh my god i've achieved the dream <laughs> I can rest. Oh, thanks, babe. <laughs> that is ge- was... like, that's not going to make any sense to either of our partners when we see each other next. Why well, nope. I'm so happy that you're giving me a digital present. <laughs> but they'll hear the noise and they'll think, well, Darren sounds happy. Yeah. I'm sure he'll start making a noise audible to humans in a second. Yeah. As I'm going, ah! So there you go. I, I figured there was there was no amount of like Gibraltar branded tat that would actually please you more than a, than a Pokemon you don't have. So there no, we go. No, that's the ultimate gift. Um, that goes for anybody who wants to give me any gifts. I will happily take any because oh my god, I can finish. Oh, thank <laughs> you've got to get to be ASAP because I don't want him to just come out next week because this always happens. I'm always about to do it and then they'll go oh introducing Meltan. So we got we got to act fast so I can finish and I can rest, but. Well, that's good. That's a, that's brother looking out for brother. I, I I thank you for that. You can come to my wedding. <laughs> I expected as much. Lucky you. For, uh, um, well, I didn't get to go that. to your wedding, so you know. You know, we are we are having a party <laughs> next year, hopefully, and we're we're gonna try and keep to it. Basically, just be, but the wedding equivalent of like deleted scenes. <laughs> it's just gonna be all the stuff we didn't get to do, and we'll just do it. We still technically haven't had a first dance because there wasn't a do afterwards. So ah, yeah. we've still got to do that. We've still got to do speeches. We've still got to do, you know, we had a lovely meal. I I, I had three steaks. It was amazing. Oh, my fucking Christ. I, I, I won't tell you this on the podcast because um, it's a long, drawn out story that is just me talking about meat. But fucking Christ, I went to an Argentinian steak place and it was the single best steak I have ever had. Sorry, I, please tell me the entirety of the meal was just three steaks. Well, it was two steaks and a bunch of veg, and then Caroline okay. didn't finish one of her steaks, so I had three steaks. <laughs> What's better? How do you defend, defend against a man with three steaks? 
<laughs> oh, well done, Maggle. Did you catch a trophyus as well whilst you were over there? I didn't. I've missed that one. Ah, uh, well. I felt, I felt like the Zarude was more important. It is. It, you already have a trophyus, just not on Pokemon Go. Anyway, I'm sure you enjoyed all that extended non-Umbrella Academy talk there, but it's been two weeks since we got to speak to each other. We need to catch up somehow. This is true. This is true. And uh, hopefully we actually get to see you soon so that I can give you an engagement present. <laughs> And I can give you a wedding present. There's presents galore. And we've got presents for you coming up once we decide what media (laughs) we're going to consume. That was a great segue. I don't want to stop it. Uh, You can go and find me on Twitter at ThatMoco and also on Instagram under the same name. You can go and follow Darren on Twitter and Instagram at TheGutridge. You can go and follow the site on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook under the username FowleyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. Find us on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on SoundCloud wherever you can get an RSS feed under the username Fowley and T or Fowley and T podcast, depending on your provider. And of course, go to fansentainment.com for more podcasts, more articles, more of everything when there's actually stuff to review. <laughs> well, coming up, we have got a few things. Now, unfortunately, I'm away this weekend, which I realised in, you know, afterward was poorly timed because it's SummerSlam weekend. So I'm missing two wrestling shows this weekend. And there's also the DC fandom event where it's already been confirmed. We're going to find out what Rocksteady's next game is, which looks for all intents and purposes to be a Suicide Squad game of some description. Uh, there's also going to be the new Batman games going to be there because they've already started hyping that. There is going to be the Court of Elves game. Um, plus, obviously, there's probably going to be movie um, stuff there as well. So hopefully we'll have a lot of information coming off the back of that. Hopefully there's another, you know, mention of PlayStation or Xbox around the corner. Nintendo had an Indie World event yesterday? Yesterday. Which the only thing I've seen come out of it is there's now going to be a two-player mode on Untitled Goose Game. Oh, I'm very excited for that. I want to play Goose Game again. Nice. So hopefully there's a lot of stuff. Plus, there's actually a movie out on Friday. Yes, Tenet is coming to cinemas and I will be going to see it. So will I. I just don't know when, um, because wedding venues have taken over my life, ladies and gentlemen, but that's another story. You've had enough wedding talk for today. We'll we'll address that another time. But yes, <laughs> hopefully, we, the next time you hear us, we'll have new and exciting things to talk about. Hopefully so, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you very much for listening. Bye, everybody! Bye!